Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 149 of Midweek Metagame. I'm Harry MTG, joined here by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. G'day, Harry. G'day, Gab. And Gabriel Nassif. Hey, everyone. Well, well, well. Today, we have some interesting discussions to have. $1,000 booster packs have been announced. I have some interesting YouTube statistics to talk about. I've been playing Modern Cube. Gab and Pat haven't really been playing much Magic, but we have a lot of community uh, discussed topics to speak about today, which I think will be a great discussion to be hearing into. But before we get into things, two things. One, this podcast is brought to you by Card Market. Shout out to them. If you need to buy any Magic Gathering singles, accessories, deck boxes, booster packs, check out cardmarket.com. You can sell on there, buy your singles for not only just Magic, multiple games, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, um, many other things. If you want to buy anything card game related, go to cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu. Thank you to them for supporting the podcast. You know who also supported the podcast this week? A new Patreon, Cat Dog Warrior. Thank you so much for supporting our content. Thanks very much, Cat Dog Warrior. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> awesome. But to get into things, should we start off with the heavy hitter? What's funny is this topic actually had us debating before the podcast, and I had to tell both Pat and Gab to be quiet because this is good content to talk about live. $1,000 booster packs. Now, it's not exactly $1,000. Pat, do you know the full announcement? Yeah, right. So it's actually $999.99 for four booster oh, packs. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Oh, for four. Yeah, so I think so. Right. So I guess we frame it for everybody who hasn't doesn't listen to the live stream and hang out on Twitter. So for people who aren't terminally online. Um, so Magic 30th Anniversary is coming up. And they had a big announcement stream and contained some... Uh, Brothers War spoilers, just a little bit of stuff like that, um, and some promos they're doing, kind of for you know one promo card for every year. But one of the, like the kind of most the thing that most people came away talking about is they're basically doing essentially a reissue of the collector's edition, so reprinting the entirety of the beta set with alternate back with alternate backs, so kind of a non-standard Magic the Gathering back, uh, original artwork, but in the current in the new frame, as is my understanding. And they won't be tournament legal, obviously, uh, but the recommended retail price for a pack, uh, for a, a box of these is uh, $1,000, essentially, $1,000 US dollars. And every store, I think, will be given one. But what I thought was going on was this is like, you know, like the original collector's edition uh, set, which is where you basically pay, pay the upfront cost and you get every card as a kind of like, you know, little like standalone thing that you can kind of do whatever you want with. And those cards are worth a lot of money these days. But what it actually is, is it's just four in this, in this box of boosters, there's four boosters that contain 15 random cards, like just like a, a regular booster pack of magic, but they're anything from beta. So it could be a black Lotus. It could be your rare could be basic Island because there is a rare basic Island in beta. Um, yeah. So, but the price is obscene, obscenely high, and uh, people were kind of taken aback by various different components of this. I mean, like, on some level, it's like printing proxies, and what's he's been really kind of anti-proxy for a very long time for a, a number of pretty obvious reasons. It's uh, breaking the reserve list agreement in some way, or it's like a kind of like 
you know, pretty standard loot workaround for that. And then there's obviously just like the huge price tag on this sort of thing. And everyone's talking about all sorts of different things. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to begin the discussion other than that's, that's, that's the situation. Maybe someone else can give me their opinion about it and I'll work mine, work mine in, uh, weave it in. Gab, do you think this is a good move or a bad move? I don't have a strong opinion. I don't really care for much of that stuff. All right, then, Harry. <laughs> do you have a strong opinion on this? <laughs> I saw... No, I can talk about it. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I felt I like most people were kind of okay with the idea. It was just a price that seemed extremely high. And... Yeah, I don't know. I saw Kibler thought it was a good thing. And he said people are just going to wish they had bought them. And I feel like there's probably a lot of that. It's just like more speculation on, on magic cards and stuff. Um, you know, like, I wonder what the percentage of people is who buy these products for, you know, most, mostly their enjoyment and how much is speculation. I'm guessing almost everyone who buys them is some somewhat speculating, right? Well, at a price tag like that, it's really kind of capping who can choose to buy it. It's not something that someone can kind of walk in casually to a shop and be like, yeah, I kind of like magic. Oh, wow. $250 of boost back? Done. I'll take one. It's the sort of thing where someone's like heavily invested in the game, uh, whether you know they're kind of they're, they're financially invested or they're kind of emotionally invested in the game. Uh, it's an opportunity to kind of buy something that's very, 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 very scarce. I mean, there's not going to be very many of these boxes. Like, you know, every store is getting one, right? So there's going to be four booster packs at every store. This is going to be you know, a very, very, very low supply product. And, you know, Magic 30th anniversary of a game being around that's shaped a huge, that's massively influenced a lot of people's lives. It's, it's a chance to kind of like own something somewhat, you know, unique and, you know, exclusive from that. So I kind of I kind of see the appeal and I think it will, will be taken up by both people who are looking at seeing it as a financial investment because these cards are going to be worth a lot of money due to their scarcity and you know, uh, exclusivity in, in, in a long time, but also people who are kind of, you know, essentially whales like they've got a lot of money to throw around and they just kind of want to be a part of magic history that is something important like that so i mean kibble's tweet was essentially like i think this is a good idea and what what you should be doing in terms of uh making alternate game pieces essentially i mean i think obviously we've all kind of uh, are well aware that over the last kind of like three or four years there's been a massive kind of influx of kind of alternate art things you know, there's all these like draft boosters, set boosters, collector boosters, etched foils, all this sort of nonsense is going on. Alternate art, weird, non-standard magic art style, secret lair stuff going on. And it's all pretty overwhelming and they're pumping out new sets. Like there's kind of, there's standard legal sets, there's commander sets, there's, you know, master's sets, there's all sorts of shit in between. Like there's in the new unglued thing coming out now. And it's kind of hard to keep pace up, to keep track of because it's coming out at such a rapid rate. But it almost feels to me like this is the sort of thing where like this is a special product and if they did more things that were like this is a small limited run special product that is uh ostensibly not influencing tournament behavior at all because you know these aren't tournament legal cards it's not making vintage more accessible or anything like that or undercutting people's like reserveless staples for tournament play but it's it's just creating kind of items of like you know, big shiny objects, basically. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but it's a complex issue. Harry, do you have anything, any thoughts on it? Well, 
these packs are to celebrate 30 years of magic, right? The 30th anniversary. So to reward players for sticking around for 30 years, they're charging us a grand for cards that we can't legally play with for a very niche, like, the target. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And I think the problem that I have with products right now is that a commander player can spend $40 and get $200 of value, whereas a competitive player has to spend $1,000 on the second-hand market and indirectly not support the game. So I think, to me, it makes no sense that their reward for 30 years of play is cards that we can't use. Whereas, for me, if they released uh, some sort of... like I feel like the support for the game is just going completely south, right? Because as, as someone who's now starting to go back to FNM, if I want to go to FNM in London, I can either pay a grand for a deck, like the the Murktide deck that I, I have to borrow a deck just to go to play, and it already cost me 50 pounds to go. So it's like, to me, I just feel like it seems quite out of touch to, to kind of advertise this as your 30 year anniversary product, right? The 30 anniversary product should be insane value or, you know, like maybe print like the coolest card from every year, right? So well, then you do have the beta cards, and then you have it in a cheaper pack, whatever. I just think to be frank, they're doing it. Just that, doesn't though. make sense to they're me. Why do you want for. to buy this? They're doing the thing you're asking for as well, though. They're basically there's going to be a set of promo cards that are released as well. I'm not sure exactly what the accessibility model for those are, but I think it's just through in-store play and stuff like that, which is like a promo from one card from every year of Magic history, kind of with the original old border, original foil process, and i think original art though don't quote me on that bit but like you know there's everything from kind of you know they've got oh yeah it's like alternate art sarah angel from 1993 all the way through to uh, a promo card that's not even printed yet because it's from a set that hasn't been released yet so that there is there there are tournament playable cards that are being produced and you know, promotional material that's being produced for tournament for tournament play, or, or at least that... legal play yeah what... it doesn't support the player though that it doesn't support players who are literally priced out of the game right now. Like, so I think that, in my opinion, you need to have products that attract people to the store, right? And a $250 booster pack is not going to attract me to a store, same as a cool promo card, because I, I can't go to the store if I don't have a deck. I think it's, again, it's a very long convo, but in my opinion, I think that, to me, they should be making products that everyone, like... My opinion, I think that LGS is in the UK specifically. I can't speak for the world. They are clearly dying. Like, my local town only runs drafts now. They used to have 30-player modern. Now they have zero modern players. It's because of the price. No, one's, no one in my town wants to pay a grand to go to fr Friday Night Magic. And I think that it's kind of an insult to me that their efforts to get people to an LGS is a $1,000 booster box that they're giving for free. And some promos that no one can really use because no one can afford a deck. Could just be a symptom of competitive play, though. Low confidence in competitive play, no more GPs, even though we have the legacy tournaments. And if they don't feel like there's something behind, you know, the, the local modern tournament, then you're like, kind of, what's the point? Why am I even playing competitive anymore? Am I might not just be the price of the cards. And I'm I'm really not 
super comfortable talking about all that stuff because I feel kind of clueless. I'm glad I don't have FOMO when it comes down to all these magic products. What's the logistic if someone wants these boosters? Can anyone get their hands on it? Or are you going to have to get lucky, pre-order, know the, the store owner? Because you, you, you seem to say that it was kind of scarce. Well, my understanding is that every store is getting sent one. And then there might be some other avenue to it. I think there was two avenues to get it. I, I honestly, this product's not for me, so I don't. I don't really yeah. give a shit about the the, the logistical <laughs> details of getting one. Yeah, facts. It, it's yeah, but from what I understand, there's probably I think there's a secondary channel to get a hold of them. But I think they are. They should be in relatively short supply. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I again, I think I completely I sympathize with what Harry's trying to say, and I think that's something that a lot of people feel frustrated by. But this isn't this. 30th anniversary absurd collector's edition price tag thing isn't isn't related to that i think i, I don't think these are i don't think the arguments like the arguments that say that okay yeah, yeah i saw a tennis because rocket magic is dying it's incredibly expensive uh, and inaccessible for people i just don't think those are the sort of things that matter when discussing the pros and cons of whatever they're doing to this uh, collector's edition thing. I mean, I completely think that they should make more stuff that's analogous to the Commander intro deck stuff for constructive play in all their formats. And I think they do. You know, there's Pioneer Challenger decks, modern Challenger decks that have come out, but they're not very kind of, maybe they're not as desirable as the Commander deck a deck might be. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, it's also, also the, and the price of the price of staples in those formats fluctuates a little bit more than it does in Commander, I think. If something's good in Commander or popular in commander and commands a price tag then it just stays that way because that format doesn't rotate and there's no metagame but um yeah again i'm sympathetic towards the the position that you get local store i'm you're not going to be incentivized to walk into a local store because this <laughs> absurd gold-plated booster mm. pack is sitting on, on, on behind the cabinet and not being bought but um i, I think that like the you know, having kind of cool original like nostalgic fnm promos essentially uh, let's assume they're coming out by fnm means you know that might incentivize me to go and do a draft or something like that uh, i think that's a reasonable way of you know uh tipping tipping their hat towards people who turn up at stores and play at a local level every day but or every week but at the same time i i, I think that these are opposite these, these are these are non uh commutable kind of arguments I, I just don't think that we should be criticizing one thing on the grounds of uh, the affordability of magic when it's it's not impacting your tournament play at all like at least it's a non-tournament legal uh they're just luxury items and like every single like, hobby essentially has these kind of like giant price tags super d display of status silly goods uh, i'm trying to think of examples but like they used to release basketball cards in packs which were like super expensive that only had like super rare cards in them but that were exceedingly expensive. This sort of stuff just happens, and it happens in all sorts of hobbies. And that's essentially what this is. It's for it's for the big fish, like for whales. It's for people who are going to throw a bunch of money at it and keep them locked away and keep hoping that they'll rise in price and they'll make a make some profit off it. It's, uh, it's for people with more money and common sense and a lot of love for the game who want to buy them and open them. I, I, I think I think ostensibly it's a fine thing, and if what's he's already shown that they really want to like just make print on demand single th single things and luxury products that they can make money hand over fist from 
And I'd much rather it be this than it be pumping me full of things that augment legacy format or modern and stuff like that, that I have, I feel this kind of like compulsive demand to like, oh, shit, I have to keep up with this. Okay. This is like completely out of my mental space. Like it's fine. I, <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of funny and I'll move on with my life. But if it was like, Hey, we're, we're releasing like new director, modern Ragavan 2.0, it's a little bit better than regular Ragavan. I'd be like, fuck me. I have to pay 250, $250 for a booster pack to get super Ragavan. Good God damn it. That'd be that'd be really fucking rad. I don't know. That's just me. I'm, I'm maybe I'm done popping. Well, I think speaking of legacy though and vintage, what's funny is on my YouTube channel and the past ten videos, my two most popular videos are legacy and vintage. So I feel like there is a clear audience for this. My vintage video got sixty thousand views, which is not a joke. I'm a small channel, and the fact that my like my biggest video is not modern pioneer it's vintage i find that extremely interesting and i don't know if it's because people are just priced out and they've never seen it before and want to watch it but yeah i thought that was really cool as well as a statistic that i kind of noticed on my youtube is uh, youtube basically tells you how many people saw your video like scrolled past it and how many people clicked and uh, right now, YouTube tells me that 11% of the people who scroll past it click, right? And um, I don't know who it was, but someone at YouTube basically said that a YouTube will live until it goes under 10% of a click, right? And my 60,000 view video is stuck at 11%. So it means that the viewership should still be going up even by a little bit, right? Logically. But it hasn't changed at 60,000. So, I think that what it means is that there's only 600,000 people on Magic YouTube, right? They've shown it to everyone who watches Magic YouTube, 11% clicked, and they have no one else to show it to. That's why, technically, the video is quote-unquote still alive for YouTube statistics, because 11% of the people still click it, because it goes down, it shows it to more people, uh, and yeah. then it'll get, like, if less people click, less people just... Do you get it? I don't think Do you that, get my logic? that doesn't make sense to me. Why, why, why would, if you were, if you were operating on the assumption that people who have seen the video will not click it a second time, why would they, if there's only 600,000 people watching on Magic YouTube, why would they, they would presumably be repeatedly showing this video. I mean, I get recommended videos I've seen before all the time in the YouTube algorithm. Wouldn't they just not click on it and then the, then the scroll pass to click rate would just decrease? That I don't know, but I mean, what I do know is YouTube, what I know is that a YouTube video dies when it goes less than 10%. Fine. And the video's at 60,000 at 11%. still hasn't died. Is the point is the point here that your YouTube video I is popular? I think 600,000. Your vintage video I is think popular? 600,000 customers. Okay, so you think there's a cap? You, 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 think, you think you've discovered the cap of number of people on Magic YouTube. It's 600,000. Yeah. I'll take the over. I, I think so. I'll take the over. And I know that there are videos that, like Nikachu get a million views, but I think that that outreaches because it's like community controversies where if you kind of know the name Magic the Gathering, you can maybe piece together mm -hmm. some understanding. But I think I think to me, logically, it makes sense that there's 600k people on Magic YouTube because most of the top Magic YouTubers have like just over 100k, 200k subs. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that the biggest are only like subscribed by like 30 percent of the community what's your point about all this stuff i just thought it was an interesting t statistic to talk about because 
a lot of the time people are wondering how many people go to magic tournaments and who's the competitive audience and you know i think that's like people criticize the the less than 1000 players at a gp but i just wonder if the actual number of players has just completely decreased uh in the game but again yeah. this is all speculation i just thought that'd be something cool to talk about like it's something that people don't really hear about right youtube stats and magic youtube i don't know do, it is do, interesting. Do, do it is interesting to be the best performing video on Twitch. That's that's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah, that's a, that's a, and... that's a kind of quirk. Um, how much of that do you think is? I kind of, I kind of sorry. I, 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 this is just a little bit of a jarring kind of transition away from something I thought was. I, I thought there was a little bit more meat on the bone for the. Uh, oh for the right, yeah. I just I didn't want to rant about it because I assume every podcast, every well, Twitch streamer in a chat. Okay, well, right? let, let me let me let me. Let me let me keep going, but also just change tact a little bit. Uh, one one thing I think it's interesting and is the kind of circumvention of the reserve list, and the and the uh, the almost kind of like subtle condonement of uh, playtest cards or proxies, and you know, so these are these are if you think that people are going to open these packs and try and play with them, it's commander places, people playing in non-sanctioned events, right? So they they if they're looking for a whale who's like a player to buy these packs. It's presumably someone who wants to like open a, a black lotus for their for their um, for their commander deck. The same people who probably you know buy the gold boarded cards from the old world championship decks and the um, and the collector's edition stuff. So I think that's a kind of interesting thing. Like Wasi's really kind of like not seventh that territory very much, but this is, here's a kind of step in that direction of kind of condoning non game legal pieces for. Uh, other, other formats not necessarily think that's kind of relevant to the sort of things we talk about in the podcast but it was a, it was an area of it was part of the announcement i thought was kind of interesting yeah i mean i think the thing is there is an audience for vintage players hmm. if i think if what's like 60k views is no joke especially in a small community like magic i mean yeah I feel like they're going about proxies the wrong way. Like, if they offered sick vintage decks that all are not tournament legal for, like, 60 to to $100, I'm sure they'd have many buyers because so many people want to play with Black Lotus. I, I definitely I definitely get involved in that sort of stuff. I think that's a really cool idea, actually. Something I hadn't really thought too much about. Like, rather than printing, like, you know, the yeah. World Championship decks, just print, like, just sick vintage deck. Just, here's Bob Bob's MTGO 5.0. We've made it to a pre-con. Like, it, that's all that you got to do. You could you could do a mox you could do a mox a, a legacy and vintage and the winner joint format both of their decks are 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 printed or the top four deck lists or whatever I think that that'd be really that's sick. Not, that's not, that's but not I, bad I think instead they want to donate two hundred and fifty dollar booster packs with with just like random junk. I I don't know. I just feel like a lot of in my opinion, for a competitive player's perspective, the only thing I want to see Watsy printing is half playable decks that I can spend $100 to update up to competitive level. I'm not asking Magic to be a 20 buck game. I don't mind. Sp I used to spend £400 on a modern deck, you know? You like a play set of fetches, the bomb, the bomb mythic in the deck, and then some Shocklands. That would be about 400 quid. Have you seen the. But now uh, it's like. Have you seen the Patrick Sullivan tweet where he's like. He's like this piece of card. It's outrageous that this piece of cardboard costs a thousand dollars. It should cost six hundred dollars. 
Like it's it's a pretty it's a pretty standard thing. Like where's 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 the arbitrary cutoff for for what's on the cheek class or not? I completely with you though. I think that you know going down this route of kind of printing things that people can take low barrier to entry things for kind of store level players definitely something that once you should be doing more of for tournament magic if they really want to support people going into stores and playing fnm and using that as a springboard to doing you know getting more involved with op then i think that you know, having access access points like that is definitely really interesting just one thing i i don't i don't think uh this is necessarily directly related to this point but i don't know if you've ever heard of i think this is an interesting thing and i, I talk about it every now and then to whoever's willing to listen but there's this idea of this thing called like a veblen good which is uh like a luxury item that doesn't obey standard supply demand economics so like a rolls royce or like a gucci handbag or stuff like that like it has a high price tag d- despite the fact that no one's going to buy it like it's hard to, it's hard to buy a rolls royce because no one could not very many people would afford it but the price is really high because that's its appeal its appeal is on its price tag so it does it kind of like does non-standard economic kind of uh behavior if anyone's interested in that sort of stuff they should look up a thing called a veblen good and i think this booster pack is kind of like a magic veblen good it's expensive and desirable because it's expensive not because people want it but just because it's expensive and yeah mm. I don't know. designer magic cards. yeah exactly oh. it's like it's like the gucci handbag of magic cards you know, having this booster pack sitting in your collection or whatever you know, if you roll up right. to F&M and you've got your, your or your, it's it's like almost more expensive to have these like have your like legacy deck with uh these dual lands than it will be to have original duels. In some respects. Do you like designer, Gab? Do I like designer? I know this is, I know this is so random, but because we did that YouTube video of uh Gab and I did a one v one, modern blue blue light mirror. And I was like trying to find stock footage, not stock, like footage to show Casey in the beginning. And I just clocked. I was like, Gab's wearing designer glasses, like at one of the PTs. You're wearing like Prada glasses or something? I have nice glasses, but I guess that's about it. I don't know. I just had a friend who used to play poker who has a glass store. And nice. I don't know. I, yeah. But you wear glasses all day, every day. You got you to gotta have a nice pair of glasses. Yeah. yeah. No, I rate it. Now, I was thinking about your, your videos. Maybe Vintage and, and Legacy just have a more casual vibe to them and you get clicks from casual players, competitive players, commander players, mm. whereas, you know, Modern, Pioneer, all that stuff's all different. Who knows? Yeah, I think... I, I the, the, the problem that I have is that... Or not the problem. The thing that's interesting to me is that it's completely counterintuitive, right? You would expect the competitive format, can 60-card deck ones, to be popular. But it also helps that the t- in the title of the video, I have, like, this commander card oh, is good that, in Vintage. I think that definitely helps a bit. This commander card is good in Legacy. So Maybe you should put this commander card is good in Pioneer. Modern. Yeah, modern. well, no, no, no commander card. Like, it's meant, to, it's because the exclusives, right? Like, the, the Minx and Boo has just come out. It, the mm. biggest thing is, like, the Minx and Boo has just come out and now it's playable in, in Legacy. People are like, what the heck? Look, so, just, I, I'm so, like, I said it before, I'm so much, I'd so much rather they print things that are, like, not tournament playable that are kind of, like, goofy like that than they print Minsk, Minsk, and, Minsk and Boo and make it sick and <laughs> just like some desirable thing that if i want to keep up with legacy i kind of have to get my hands on fucking minx like it's not even a magic card it's it, like a yeah fucking, fucking boulder's gate it's so broken if you don't know what the planeswalker does <laughs> it's two green red 
ETB or upkeep, make a 1-1 legendary hamster with trample haste, 1-1. It's plus 1, it's put 3 counters on target creature with trample or haste, <laughs> and then it's minus 2, minus 2 is nuts, it's draw X, deal X damage to target to any target after you sacrifice a creature with X power. So, oh, I worded it wrong, but it's like, sac a creature... Deal, deal X damage to any target. If that creature was a hamster, also draw X. <laughs> so it's like the most nuts card. It's You know, you Sorry. instantly win the game against most legacy decks when you play it. Because you can either play it and insta-sack the hamster to ping something for one like Thalia, or uh, Jaggerman's Chandler, Delver, or you pump the creature and attack for four, and it, it, it's just so nuts. And it's just like, how... I just, I don't even know, dude. I feel like it's Magic like, was a better game when there wasn't text. If it was a hamster, do X. I just, it just bothers me. Yeah. Imagine, imagine having to buy three copies of this. Hey, drive. That'll be our life on the line card because I have no. Okay, no but okay, like, million. yeah. $250 a booster. I don't know. <laughs> Gab, do you have any opinion on that? Commander cards kind of heavily affecting Eternal Formats? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying this gap contribution to this podcast. Actually, it's great. You just you just play the cards. Yeah. Have you thought of trying doing like vintage or legacy content, seeing if it would bang? I don't think it's going to make a huge difference on Twitch, but mm. no, I haven't really. I'm sure people yeah. would still watch vintage legacy. I think a lot of people who watch my stream don't even play that much Magic. Yeah, that too. That's that's one thing that I've realized. The bigger you get in Magic, the way, way more casual your audience get. Like, for example, in my most recent Legacy video, I, I top-decked a Fury and I couldn't cast it because I was at one life and I had a fetch land in play with the five mana and I could evoke it, but there was five toughness on the board, mm -hmm. so I couldn't kill the board. And I got a lot of comments like, you could have evoked Fury and won the game, but it's like... Fury only deals four damage. So you get like all of these random, like complete fundamentally wrong ideas from casual, clearly casual players. So it's like, I think that the audience that we're used to, the GP audience, the FNM audience, I don't even think that's the majority of the player base anymore because the majority of the, the types of people watching my videos, I think are literally people who... But don't really know the game as we all do no i think i actually watched that video and i think it's just people who talk before they think because my first instinct was oh he could have just evoked fury and then i was like no he wouldn't miss it so i counted the toughness and it was five toughness across four creatures i think it's just the case of mm. the internets just right right i'm not yeah, even sure how you could type sense. that quickly into youtube uh, <laughs> it's like you get to the comment section and just like spray it off before you play manage it take me so long to figure out what the comment section is <laughs> well you're getting x thousand views you know it doesn't take that big of a percentage of people you know yeah just be drooling yeah it's like still like 0.001 percent of people who saw the video are gonna see that yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense there used to yeah. be this when magic content was uh written articles only uh there used to be this sort of thing where like you people who read articles were kind of like there were only a, if you read like all articles it was kind of like a sign that you're just kind of just consuming content like like the like the youtube comedy you described but like you know the real when, when you came had this realization that actually not all 
content is actually worth got, got much value so you got to like be really discerning about what you, what you watch and what you listen to that's when you're that's where the kind of people who are like taking magic seriously kind of wound up like yeah of course of course i didn't read this article because it was not worth, worth their time but if you're just watching content for um you know for entertainment purposes and like yeah you're going to come across all sorts of t- all sorts of people with all sorts of levels of interest and involvement in the game mm. well i guess to to try and wrap up this conversation of like community cards and inclusivity and of competitive formats i guess what where do you see magic being in like three years Pat? me do you still see magic thriving in three years is it thriving right now up to your up to your opinion Three years isn't very far far down the line. So I think Magic's still going. I think it's still producing sets at roughly the same rate that it's producing it now, and it's probably still reporting pretty good quarterlies to Hasbro. And if that's your metric, metric for thriving, then I think in three years' time, it's probably still in roughly the same place. If you ask me if it's going to be here at the 50th anniversary, no, I don't think so. At least not in any form that we're that that is has parables to what the, the game that i played the majority of my life it's already morphed I away think... from that but it's still recognizable i don't think if in 50 years time, i don't think it's recognizable what about you gab i'm not big Maybe. brain enough to project okay it's free no I, one's I just... ever going to call you on it you can just say something gab it's all i do i just say shit i just, just chat a specific spot in I don't know, you know, it's just so hard for me to judge that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd rather I, I think that yeah. I think ultimately what we're seeing is kind of a ripple effect from the pandemic, right? We mm-hmm. actually haven't recovered and we're like oil is at an all time high, whatever. So I think that people are just putting their hobbies to the side because magic is not people's life. For me, it's my life because I play it six to eight hours a day and look at magic Twitter all day. But to the average player, they don't really give two shits about a $250 booster. They're just going to keep going to work. So I think that actually it's just taking its time to recover. The casual players will come back and the GPs will fill up next year, maybe the year after. I think it's, yeah. I I definitely think that's right in, in terms of kind of, especially in tournament response and OP play, I think it's been a really, really difficult couple of years and we're still, we've come out of a pandemic into a very strange kind of economic and geopolitical environment and people are just kind of like, well, there's bigger fucking things to worry about. And lots of other things have taken over their life in that in that absence, right? Like it's, you know, Magic's a good game because you can put it down and pick it back up again in a lot of ways because, you know, the rules stay the same roughly and, you know, you can go to a draft and learn those cards or whatever, but, you know, space gets filled up in people's lives pretty fast. I know that if I, you know, I'm basically exactly that example right now, like I stopped, I was like, oh, I got, up until about three months ago, I was playing pretty regularly. Like I play a couple of nights a week. I do a league a couple of nights a week. Maybe once a month, I play a match on my lunch break or something like that if I was free. And then I was like, you know, I ran out a little bit of steam and that time just got immediately snapped up. And it's been really hard to kind of carve out space for it again. And, you know, the same thing goes for going to tournaments on the weekends. 
you know, before pandemic, before being a dad. It's the sort of thing I could find time for, you know, you know, as I kind of got more and more responsibilities, like it was like, yeah, I still had to like cognizantly choose it rather than it just being the default thing that I would do. But that, you know, there's a, there's a kind of old saying that goes about like kind of trying to get funding in, in, in science is, uh, especially from government policy, it's much easier to tighten the belt than it is to loosen it. So like it's easier to take resources away from something than it is to get resources back into something. And the same goes for time. I find that's like the minute time's gone, it's really hard to get it back. You know, whatever. So like go find that spot and carve it out for you, carve it out for whatever hobby. And I think we're still experiencing that ripple effect now. Like you're like you're saying from from COVID, like you know people couldn't go to F and M, couldn't do all these sort of things, and so invariably they find they did something else. You know, with the with their time and. That's the sort of thing that's taking up their time now. They got out of the habit. You know, it was harder to justify kind of jumping on a plane and going to a GP when prices are high, um, money's scarce, time is time is precious. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you know, I think it will it will grow back if things keep going, you know, trending positively. And I do actually think on the organized play side of things, things are going positively. Yeah, but moving into things this week actual magic oh. i don't think you guys played much magic right i played a tiny bit before the weekend i mostly was losing on arena trying to get to top 250 mythic in limited i wasn't here this weekend and yesterday and today i played a bit of constructed played a bit of pioneer which is going to be one of the two formats for the mock showcase this weekend your friend cherry is qualified it's the eight player tournament pioneer and modern cube and played a couple of leagues of blue-white control. It went pretty well. I went only quote-unquote six and four, free two, free two, but it was kind of the good kind of free twos where things don't really go your way and you get pretty unlucky in your losses and the wins feel decently easy. So not of the deck, but I think I'm going to try and branch out a bit, try other decks, get a better picture of you know the top decks before uh, Sofia, before the European uh, Regional Championship. How long is it until the Regional Championship? It's in a month or so, right? Month and a half. It's okay. November 18th to November 20th. Great. Cool. I'm really looking forward to that. And played a league of blue-white hammer time today. It was modern. Went two and three. Mm. But the problem with this deck, it's hard to play. It's not my style of magic, so I'm not going to play very well. Probably not sideboarding very well. And I just I just can't get into it. I said I would try, but I gave it just a one league. Maybe I'll give it another league at some point, but uh, yeah. that didn't go very well. So I just played a couple of modern cubes, added cubed, um, drafted red-black mid-range. Feels like a very mid-rangey format. Lots of planeswalkers. A lot of the same cards you find in the vintage cube, but without the power. And yeah, my first deck was just you know, Grave Titan, Chandra's removal, card advantage, call against command and whatnot. Uh, got a trophy. Then I drafted Mono Red, which was really open in the first draft. I could have just been Mono Red in the first draft as well. Just almost perfect Mono Red. I got everything. I got the Lightning Bolt, the Eidolon, every, every good creatures, most of the good one drops, most of the good burn spells. So Ferocidon. And yeah, never never played against a sweeper. I think there's a few, but that was nice. And got another trophy. So yeah, I don't know. Probably probably play some more. I think Harry, you played a bunch. Can you give us a better 
overview of the format? What are you like looking to, to uh, trap? Just kind of, is it like pretty basic? Just you pick either one color or two color and just draft a mid-range deck or is there a bit more to it? So I've been helping Cherry obviously test for the mocks. That's this weekend. I've been playing about two, three cubes a day. So I've at least 14 cubes so far, I, I believe, or maybe a bit less. I don't think it's been out for exactly a week, but tons of cube. Generally speaking, we have found two drafting methods and or at least i have two cherry drafts way more than me cherry's drafting like six cubes a day right now no joke the, the guy's like playing so much cube and he just sent every day like i'm doing gardening he's sending me screenshots of like opponents attacks and so it's so crazy but my method is i either like to be in a monocolor deck obviously or uh i draft triumphs from the start i found that triumphs and fetch lands off the start have been really good like even if you see a card like um i don't know a, a really good card okay jace friend's prodigy for example i don't like to take jace friend's prodigy pack one pick one i'd rather take a fetch land or a triumph because i found that one triumph it doesn't matter if you're going to use all three colors the the kind of half it's like basically a shock land that you can cycle, but it's not a shock land. It's just good fixing. And that's worked out really well for me. The pl Planeswalkers that I like a ton, I don't think Chandra Torch of Defiance is that good in the format. Um, I think that in mid-range, in Monored Aggro, obviously it's good. But I found that Garruk has been one of the best Planeswalkers. And Kaito Shitsuki has been really good. Hopefully I pronounced his name right. Which Garak? Sorry, which Garak are you? Are you a fan? Oh, sorry. The Garak um, that you can either zero to make a 2 2 or zero to deal three, and it takes X damage where it's his power or whatever. And then it flips into it flip the flip. Oh, Garak oh yeah, yeah, flip Garak. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that Garak has been really good. Like anything with Death Touch in the format has been really good. Um, I found Mono Black Aggro to be my favorite mono color deck i haven't seen mono blue because i think the blue cards are just too premium but i've played with mono red mono black mono white mono green my favorite's mono black mono green i think is a lot worse than in vintage cube in vintage cube mono green's nuts because you can splash anything you play things like fractured uh fractured identity i believe it's like one of the best cards in vintage cube you don't have these you know splashable bombs the, the kind of two key cards I find people splashing in green are Xenagos, the Planeswalker that adds mana for a number of creatures or makes a 2-2 haste or the minus six is whatever, or C Hydroid Crisis. Um, there are a couple. You know, I just haven't been a fan of mono green. There are definitely a couple. So this is a modern, modern only cube, right? So only modern legal cards. Yes. Yeah, there's a yeah. couple of things missing from mono green, I think, that are important. Like Natural Order's missing, Gaia's Cradle's missing. Um, yeah. Uh, Opposition's missing if you go into blue-green. So yeah, it doesn't surprise exactly. me that's a little bit, a little bit powered down from what it, what it would be otherwise. I, I actually wanted to just kind of comment on you taking triumphs early, and I think that's really, really smart. Oh, yeah. Actually, that they're, they're they're almost like split lands, like split card dual lands. Like you don't have to commit to any kind of color pair. You kind of get three color pairs for the price of one card, and the same that's the logic behind fetch lands being a high pick and stuff like vintage cube as well, where like it's it opens you up to taking you know shock lands or dual lands or whatever that mean that you can even if you're only using one half of your fetch land at least it enables still enables two colors in whatever whatever color you wind up being and so yeah I, 
that's general kind of cube philosophy i think of just being kind of open and making your mana base as good as it possibly can be and just playing whatever powerful cards you wind up just drafting in the course of the course over the course of the thing where all the cards in vintage in, in cube are basically a, a pluses so there's not really yeah. kind of you don't have to like fight over uh you're never getting like really like super cut or anything like that like you'll always have powerful cards in your deck as long as you cast them and so mana fixing is actually the kind of high high priority for me a lot of the time is there still a kind of like huge density of very cheap spells in this cube there's a lot of one drops i think every mono color deck has like a choice of like i would say around there's like nine to twelve one drops cool. i would say for a lot of one drops Red can have a ton, green can have a ton. I had a I had a mono green deck with like nine one green one mana green drops. And mono white's okay. I think mono white has the least one drops. The one thing I dis like I have a lot of dislikes about the cube because I've played it a ton. To me, I don't really understand the name modern cube. I get that it's the pool of cards, but I think there's a lot of things that are missing that identify modern. First off, why is Luris in the cube? That's banned in modern. Um, second, I think there's no Caldra complete. There's no uh, pure still paladin hammer. There's no Urza saga. There's no good artifacts. I think that having a deck like you can't have yeah. these cards that are just too many cards for one archetype, and it unbalances the cube, and then you end up with packs was a bunch of terrible cards because they go in one archetype you can't just build a cube like that yeah it's really hard to have uh, for, from a cube design perspective to have these kind of like cards that are only playable explicitly one deck and have zero utility otherwise they just you wind up with a whole bunch of 15th decks and it's really an unsatisfying experience well i i just think that there's a there's there are a lot of cards in the cube that i always see that could be replaced with more modern sensible cards like there's it's called like good use unicorn or something it's like one green white two two when a creature enters the battlefield it gets a plus one plus encounter on it or something it's like cards that i i don't know i just i think that the i would assume that the modern cube would want to at least have the key cards and modern in it that's that's what i would think it's not a surprise there's no urza saga that card's like at least flexible and cool yeah like I would, I would expect this. Like, because there's a Stoneforge Mystic archetype, and there's no Calja complete, but but there is like, uh, like Splinter Twin almost effects in in the format. I, I don't know. I mean, they've also got like Felidar Guardian Sahili Rai, which is not really a like a modern deck. I I, I I like the cube. I'm just saying I don't really understand the name of the cube. Mm. What would you call it? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I know. It's. I, I think that, to me, I just would change a few things. I'm talking about literally 15, 20 cards. And I was going to say that, to me, I don't also don't get that Rakdos, Jun Sacrifice, sorry. Jun Sacrifice is like one of their promoted archetypes with like Mayhem Devil and, uh, you know, things like that. I just, I, I don't know. I don't mind. I don't mind it. I find the cube a lot of fun. I was just saying. I think that I prefer it if it was more like actual mo modern style cube. I think it's too hard to to balance if you do it that way. To just find a nice balance. I haven't played it in a while. I don't know how often they have it compared to the vintage cube. If it's one for one or if the vintage cube comes comes around more often. I, I had fun couple drafts. You know, it's kind of more mid range, less powered. I like. I think I like my cubes just 
not powered honestly so uh, you know i like it i think it's i think if they're if they're putting you described before they're putting these kind of like cards that look like they're good in they would be really great in a vintage cube but they don't have any of the support there i think that's a bit of if that's the case that's a bit of a weird design decision like there's a lot of things in vintage cube that just are not very good in like legacy cube or you know lower, lower more lower powered cubes as well you know things that really require support but at the same time yeah like, this is it's just a different set it's a modern cube is asking for a different set of experiences i think i'm definitely with 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 gather i just don't i don't think you can really expect it to be like you know modern constructed tier list cube that's not really what the experience is describing modern cube is just things from modern sets <laughs> and it's a cube yeah. i don't know I, i've been so long since i played a cube draft i'm actually i actually think i'm gonna fire one up right now i'm like right now i'm gonna do this <laughs> episode yeah to be perfectly frank I, i'm only gonna do it because i paid 100 100 play points to, to, to join the queue so i can find out how many trophies harry had <laughs> I only have I only have one uh, one for fourteen. I'm two for yeah, two. I've, no I've, big deal. Yeah, MBD. I've two won every every one except one of them. I've two won everything and then three at once. Even if you were just flipping coins, you'd have more trophies. Yeah, all right. <laughs> more, yeah. No, it's funny because I've actually timed out twice just by accident. I keep forgetting that the casual queue is five minutes in activity, Ooh, oh, and because obviously my house got renovated, I still have to like help around the house so i just walk away from the computer i had like lethal and i think they like oh, they did something but i just walked away and i came back to a lot to a match <laughs> loss in game one in the, when i had like a nuts deck in, as well in the early days of uh of teddy being around i used to time out a hell of a lot when i would kind of like i'd be playing a match and he would like stir and sleep or something i'd go to settle him and i'd come back like ah oh. <laughs> i was like way ahead and i timed out like it took him it took me like eight and a half minutes to settle him <laughs> when it could have taken me five if it took me seven minutes and 50 seconds i would have made it back i had a lot of matches like that with my opponents just going off in chat being like what the hell happened where are you <laughs> definitely okay mm. it's good to know that's five minutes five minutes my time uh, maybe influence my decision to play one yeah so blue white and pioneer gab i haven't seen it do well for a while is it still still feeling all right for you it didn't do well this weekend. I was looking at the results. Zero blue eyes in the either top eight. Tons of green, tons of red, black. I'm yeah. guessing it's still fine. But I, I should maybe give you know, the green deck a try. Give Ragdos a try. I think I would enjoy the Ragdos deck. I th I'm I'm thinking, sure I would it. Sorry, the, the Ragdos deck I've played a bit. And I, think, I think it's fun. It's like yeah. hard decisions. Still, still not really looking forward to to modern maybe i'll just start playing blue white control in modern as well see if <laughs> see if it's you know just tune come up with my own build instead of just relying everyone relying on the wafo to uh to come up with a perfect blue white build that could be fun or uh, i'm not I'm, sure maybe yeah yeah I've, I've actually been i actually really tempted to play some Merktide. actually i had this kind of like vague inkling of like maybe i should play some modern but... yeah Modern Mo yeah, modern is just not that popular. I wanted to play the prelim today, and it couldn't get twelve players because oh, I got eight or nine. Wow. Is that what happened? Oh wow! Okay, and 
Yeah, I, I guess there's just not that much time left until Sophia announced it. it's going to go really fast. So she's probably just play mostly Pioneer anyway. Yeah. Probably going to set Modern aside. I was actually going to play a bunch of, uh, trying to play some Great Spang this week. I kind of downloaded the list and got cards ready. So, going to play a bit of Abzan Great Spang, see how that deck is. Try and dive back in. I actually, you know, I said before that, like, you know, I stopped, I stopped playing a few months ago and it's kind of been hard to find time. I actually have been really missing it and want to get back into it. I gotta force myself to to sit down and knuckle down in the evenings and do it. Mm. But yeah, Abzan Greasefang uh, did well in the challenge. It kind of won one, it came second in another or fourth in another, and so I'm kind of I'm ready to do that. I want to see how good Liliana the Veil has been in that deck because it seems like the perfect card for it. Who did play Liliana of the Veil in Greasefang? Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect complement, right? So they these decks are like they're not not even stitches supply decks necessarily anymore. It's just kind of like Seder Wayfinders and I'd I'd Seder Wayfinders are like one of my favorite magic cards of all time. And yeah, uh, yeah, and Liliana like Liliana in some numbers, and then like Rafine's Informant, and then you know Seeker's Chariot and that sort of stuff. I'm ready for it. Yeah, it's been a while since they they got trade of supplier. I think people got trade of supplier for Thoughtsees and. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't think you needed that necessarily need those kind of like turbo turbo draws. Like I don't think that's necessarily what the format's about. The format's not that fast. You need a bit of reliability and want to kinda of make it to four mana so you can flash so you can cast chariot, make it to five mana so you can flash back, can't stay away, that sort of stuff. You need to actually make your land drops. Locking a state of wayfinder though. That's kinda of why I want to play the deck. Just to cast state of wayfinder again. But yeah, there's like heaps of Wither Balloon commands as well, which I feel like when that card came out, everyone was like, this card is terrible, it doesn't do anything. Uh, myself probably included. But it seems to have just kind of found its way into, you know, Constructive Magic pretty pretty well. Uh, you know, obviously played in this deck. Uh, I remember you were playing... Well, no, some, someone was playing this kind of Urza Saga green-black yeah. rock deck. I think it was... I think both of you actually played me, yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. And Wither Balloon yeah. was really good in that, like surprisingly good. Yeah, that deck was yeah. actually pretty solid. Yeah. If Wither Balloon yeah, Command was command. like instant speed, it would have been all time great. Yeah. Magic card. Maybe better than like a Brub Decay and Assassin's Trophy. Well, I wouldn't be hard to be better than an Assassin's Trophy. That card sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to pay two mana for yeah. a path to exile? <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good in Pioneer because you kill Wolfalo Haven or Oath of Nyssa and an elf. It's so nuts. That is sick. I'm honestly, I'm going to go and spend money and buy them right now. That's what I can play that deck. So, Gre Grease Fang, I think Grease Fang is like not great against green, but I think with Witherbloom Command, you can stop us ramping into Karn, which makes it actually okay against green. Yeah. So, the Karn is a major issue, right? Like, apart from that, yeah, can... that's the problem. Yeah, it should be good on the have the nuts. Grease Fang gameplayed, maybe a little like Hammer Time, actually, just. If it, it's pretty strong, it's a good deck. When it works, it, it kills people fast, but when it doesn't, it's just pretty miserable and you just not do much. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm about to find out, I think. <laughs> Next okay. week, I'll be able to tell you if that's the case or not. I don't know. I really yeah, like yeah. this. I really like Hammer, Hammer Time as a kind of style of deck. I played a lot of Splinter Twin, though. It's not quite, not quite the same, but it's, uh, it's probably more analogous to Infect, but. I always kind of have an appreciation for those games. This kind of, you know, patience and like decision, like paralysis for your opponent because you know, they can't let their shields down and, and sort of stuff. But you're you're right, like when it doesn't quite pan out, it's just kind of like, 
I have a bunch of two twos for two, and I was nothing's working. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Grease Fang. I think every time I've played it, it's felt quite mopey, but yeah, I think that it works in in some cases. I think people play it better than me. I'm certainly not sure what the I'm not. I couldn't possibly tell you what the good and bad matchups for it are on its surface. It seems like if you say it has a pretty bad green matchup, then like, do I think it has? Do we think it has a good red black matchup? I'm not sure anything really has a great red black matchup. Yeah, that's just think it's a combo deck. You know, if if you don't have the Karn, if you don't have the Dreadbore, if you don't have the Fatal Push, it does its thing. I'm not. I don't know what Grease Fang is good against. I'm not a Grease well, Fang main, but it's like Hammer Time. Hammer Time's not good against Unholy Heat shit, but because when they don't have the removal spell, it's it works. You know, it's pretty good against Magtide to be perfectly honest. Or it, or it was at least a while ago. Anyway, yeah, I guess I'm about to find out what it's like. I, I, I know the the deck looks appealing on the surface, and I just think you know, screw it, I'll just go, I'll go and do this. Pioneer certainly seems like it's kind of condensed though, like it seems to be red, black, and mono green, just kind of the two pillars and maybe blue lights, like the next one, but not really performing very well, probably in that tier two, two bracket. Like if you're going to Sophia, I would expect there's going to be a, a large number of, uh, of green and red, black, and like if you're going to play red, black, you'll be really prepared to play the mirror and stuff, which you spoke a little bit about last week, but. I don't know. I still think Bind is an interesting format. Um, yeah, I'm I'm guessing there's stuff to be done. I might I might just start brewing random stuff and see if anything yeah. sticks. Are you gonna it like it could be fun? Are you gonna test with uh, usual crowd of people? I don't know. I think I'm just gonna play on my stream. Honestly, I, uh, I have the feeling I'm just gonna end up just not really testing. Maybe maybe we'll take a week off the last week. Maybe I'll just keep it kind of open until the very end. I mean, mm. my plan was to just play blue white control. So I was like. No need to really hide my, my yeah. blue light control testing, but maybe maybe I'm actually gonna try and play other decks and stuff and see if anything's maybe a little better. Mm, makes sense. I I honestly think that it's gonna be a fun event because I'm doing coverage. I don't have to worry about all this. I didn't have to bother trying to qualify. Yeah. So. It's all hype for me. I can see what people do. Can sit back, relax, and just sit in the commentary booth. It's your problem, not mine. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of tempting for me to just do that. To just take it as, you know, kind of a weekend, almost vacation. And if I don't do well, not a big deal. My main gig is the stream, anyways. But mm. you know, I don't. I don't know if if that's how it's gonna go down. Probably not. I'm probably gonna just yeah, yeah. stress about it try a little hard yeah you, you can't switch it off entirely do a vlog gap change change to the youtube world no nah, i don't i don't think i'm interested in youtube i just enjoy the stream i enjoy interacting with my chat i know it's no not the best time of my best use of my time if i'm trying to make the most money but you know i feel like i just want to make something that that I enjoy. It's most important for me right now anyways. No, I get you 100%. Okay. Well, that's me done for this week if you yeah, guys want to wrap I up. I don't have, I don't have feel the need to say things if I don't have anything to say. Really? You talked an awful, awful, awfully uh, long time about the stupid booster packs. Hey, look, we needed to feel yeah. some of for like 30 minutes. <laughs> 
We need to fill some amount of time. I also thought it was a really interesting. I actually, I actually think it was, it was an interesting kind of thing. It's just one time where I think that like the uh, the kind of Andy Watson discourse is a little bit wrong. <laughs> I think they missed missed the point. Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly memes. To be honest, it was just like mostly uh, what I heard is just you know people seemed to think it was a good idea. People were kind of making fun of the price, little printer like memes and whatnot. And yeah, I think it's it's not gonna like be a big deal. It was just kind of it, they said that you know it was like the big the big announcements or a lot of big announcements people are expecting. And you know, so yeah, that's certainly a big price tag announcement. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah. what are we starting with? Uh, the price is right. Oh, no, life on the line? I think we should just do prices right first. I think we should do Minsk and Boo. Yeah. Because you yeah, should. I think Minsk. I don't think life on the line. We haven't even talked about anything this week. Okay. Minks and Boo on card market. Which set is it from? The latest commander. It's from oh, no, the, the latest commander, it's from like... which is only booster packs. You can't get it as a pre-con. It's like a commander booster pack set. And it's a mythic. How much are these booster packs for? I don't know. You always ask this question. <laughs> I don't think it changes. I would say, I would guess. guess. I just want to make sure that, you know, the, 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 the feel, it's an even playing field. Gap, they're $250. It'll be like a Double Masters. It'll be like a Modern Horizons Double Masters price. Which is? Like seven euros, okay. something like that. Seven, eight euros. Basically like 1.52x normal right. booster price. Okay, well. I've got a price. I've got, got a price. price back? Yeah, I'm ready. I got a price okay. too. Three, two, one. 45 euro. Ooh, 30, 45, and 60. That's good. As That's always, I'm like way over. <laughs> How much okay. can it cost, Gab? <laughs> oh, my. give me that W. Oh, Average man. price for the past seven days is 32 euros and seven cents on cardmarket.com. Gab two xing easy money. This is sus. This is yeah. sus, honestly. What do you mean? So I'm just. I just understand. I just understand. You do have the commander mentality, no, I don't know. Harry. I don't know how I get. I just. I don't know. Just commander runs through my veins. I'm going to <laughs> London this week to play commander. Jesus. I mean, yeah. I honestly feel like I'm just being downgraded to FNM player. I'm going to FNM in London every now and then. I'm making videos for the casual players. I'm losing my competitiveness, guys. Help me. Help me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's like... And I'm getting some criticism, but I'm sorry. It's my job. I'm following the money, Absolutely. boys. So, yeah. But that's going to be it for this week on the podcast, unless you guys want to do life one. Okay. for pioneer maybe okay pioneer life on the line theoretical tournament tomorrow if you win the event you live you lose you die yeah what you taking blue light control i'm taking mono green what you taking Pat? red black <laughs> nice wow the three best decks yeah, in the format who could have guessed that with our lives on the line awesome yeah, well, I have you made it this far you made it this far into the episode thank you so much and we'll oh no Gab, where can we find an internet? Jeez. Yeah, on my stream, twitch.tv slash yellowhat, playing some Pioneer and Modern Cube, I guess. You can find me, Harry MTG, on YouTube. <laughs> I'm actually recording a vintage Blue Red Merktide video for tomorrow. <laughs> what about you, Pat? Uh, you can find me with my nose pressed against the glass, drooling over $250 booster packs. <laughs> the whale that I am. Sick. Now, if you made it this far into the episode, 
thank you so much we appreciate you and hope we will catch you guys next week all right thanks very much yeah thank you so much for listening take care everyone.